The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to another Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. As always, I can finally say that because Nate and Pootie are back together. Did you so miss not me, buddy? as always, but as usual. As, that, that's as you've come it. to expect as and you hope for. And long for and in long your weekly for. life. Yep. As, as every day gets closer to another day of Rebels. Yes, we are back in Garage Mahal together. I know. I, I Feels good. You. Thank you, buddy. Yeah. I missed you. I, I missed, missed your you face. too. I missed you too. I feel like I haven't seen you in a month. It feels I I that way. It feels it, that way. It's not true, but no, it's if, not. Like I feel like that. It's because you've been sick, so like we haven't been able to hang mm, out. That's that's and, true. Like so, it's just like I see you like a regular. Or my person. family has been sick, and yeah, then and then much. we recorded separately. So yeah, yeah. I, so, which, which oh, by the way was great, but kind of I, I just miss being here together. Yeah, and it's, it wasn't just one week. In case people are listening and thinking those guys are getting really sappy over one week, it's actually two weeks. Two. Weeks. So last week, if you were listening, you heard uh, my wife and I uh, doing the podcast together, and it'll actually be next week because we decided to kind of split up the episodes. But it's already recorded. Uh, you will hear uh, Chris and his wife Heather next week. Yeah. Uh, so we're excited for those episodes, and it was really fun and cool to do it with our wives. But it is good to be back together. Yeah, it's very good to be back together. Yeah. So, um, and uh, just so for those of you who are listening, we hope we hope that you have been listening to the Rebels um, since the beginning. But if you haven't. Uh, then we uh, encourage you to head over to rebelalliancemedia.com where you can learn more about us. Follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, find us on Facebook where we are very active. We drop some videos and uh, you'll get reminded every time we drop a new episode. So that's uh, Rebel Alliance Podcast on Facebook. And there you will see that we are proud members of the Berean Media Network, a network of podcasts that you can also find on Facebook. You can join the group or you can follow the page. And uh, that group is a group of four podcasts that push each other's content and uh, challenge each other. I've uh, developed friendships together uh, and uh, we are really, really happy to be standing shoulder to shoulder with those guys. So here's the BMN lineup. On Mondays, you have... The Layman's Cup podcast. Leading off, as you say. Leading off. Yeah, our leadoff man is the uh, the Layman's Cup. And that's, uh, you got Kemp, Wes, Robert, and uh, although I guess they all call him Bob, Bob Sims, and Sean. Uh, and that's the Layman's Cup. It's four guys sipping the truth, seeking the truth one sip at a time. They're sipping the truth. They're sipping the truth one seeking yeah, it doesn't work that way. Seeking the truth, one sip at a time. And that's the Layman's Cup. Uh, also on Mondays, you have uh, the Front Pew Podcast. That's uh, uh, podcast by pastors for pastors. But I, I know that uh, a few of our listeners have started listening to them. It's just insightful to get kind of get a pastoral perspective on certain things. It's not just for pastors. Uh, but that those are our friends, uh, Matt Caps and Chris Griggs and Ben Rudolph. Can I, can I point out, one of them, Ben, is a Liverpool supporter. He's been holding out the whole time on us. He's a soccer guy. And we've been fighting this battle for probably a year, me and you. And we have somebody in the network who's on my side who just stays silent about it. Yeah. So it's disappointing. Saying. Ben, Ben is, he's not spoken up. He's I, not spoken up. Yeah. It's disappointing. He he's, hasn't spoken he's acting up, like a soccer fan. <laughs> oh, that's, 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 that's what that's I'd terrible. like to say. Uh, but yeah, Ben Rudolph, uh, if, uh, if you're listening to this, we would love for you to reach out and provide Chris with some emotional support. He yes. feels lonely. And isolated is the only, uh, can I say football fan? 
So, yeah, of, of course fan. you can. Yeah. Of course you can. Uh, and then <clears throat> on Wednesdays, of course, you have the Rebel Alliance, and uh, we drop on Wednesdays. And then on Thursdays, the Two Thieves podcast. Those are our friends out of Granite City, Missouri, uh, close to St. Louis. We often say St. Louis, but Granite City. Uh, Brandon and uh, Justin. And uh, they're doing some awesome stuff as well. They're rocking the suburbs. They're rocking the uh, the rocking the burbs. The two thieves in the burbs. Uh, and then on Fridays, you get a uh, an espresso shot from the layman. You get a video dropping on Facebook from the rebels, and uh, and that's kind of the BMN. So uh, we hope that you're following. We hope that you're listening, and we are proud members of that uh, network. I just realized this. That means technically. If you spaced it out right, you could have something from the BMN every single day of the week. Yep. And then Sunday, go get fed at your local church. Beauty. That's perfect. That's that's that's, that's as close to perfection as it gets. <laughs> it's as close to perfection as it gets, depending um, on where you go to church. Depend- <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, you get they get to a solid church. Hopefully, we've helped motivate them to find a Bible-believing church. That's it. <laughs> uh, because we are not your church. We are not your pastors. Um, <clears throat> okay. So uh, let's jump into Rebel News. And uh, one of the big things, so at the time of recording, we're just a couple of days uh, after the Super Bowl, which we watched together, uh, mostly consuming nachos and me trying to get my children to sleep. <laughs> but, uh, but you, I mean, you've always been a bigger football fan than me. Um, and you used to be more of a football fan until... Yeah, it's waning. Uh, it's, it's waning yeah, now. It's, uh, you, you got convicted of how much time you were spending in fantasy football leagues, I think. Is, is that how it worked out? Just in general. <laughs> fantasy football leagues, just watching football. Football is one of those sports you have to watch it all. Like right. You can't just watch your team. You have to watch everything. I was always amazed back in the day when we'd be watching a game and you'd be able to tell me where every single player went to school and like what their stats were in college yeah my mind works in weird stupid ways like i can do that and i can still i can still do it to an extent but now like because i've shut off the last couple years the new guys be like i don't know where he's from and it kind of it kind of irritates me so i'm i just try to avoid it periodly now so so in, in talking uh news so Philadelphia Eagles won. I was about to say spoiler alerts, but (laughs) I guess that's not really a spoiler because everybody knows. Uh, Brady didn't win. I'm as a Michigan guy, I'm a little bit upset about that, but I'm I'm only upset because I want Brady to be like winning all the time. But at the same time, I hate the Patriots because I'm a Bills fan, so I'm like kind of happy on that front. Right. I. There, there's part of me like I'm, I'm not a football guy, right? I uh, baseball and hockey, those are the sports I follow. But um, football, I watch it because it's a Super Bowl, and you kind of feel obligated to, or, or I'm there for the food. And I'll our other brother-in-law's going to make us great nachos. Yeah, so. he's, he's a phenomenal host. <laughs> so, um, but part of me was like, you know, you root for the Eagles because um, they're kind of the underdogs. And then part of me is like, I can tell my kids that I watched a bunch of Tom Brady's Super Bowl victories. And that's history in the making. I mean, he really is. Love him or hate him. I mean, he's he likely is kind of undisputed now. The best of all time. I think you could say that. I mean, he threw for like 500 yards. He, I, I don't even think you can argue it. Yeah, okay. But I'm saying that from the Michigan background. But I, I feel like that's un, undisputed, like you said. He is the best of all time. The GOAT, as they say. Yeah. So, um, so... In terms of not just sports news, but in terms of just kind of engaging the culture here, uh, what were some things that uh, that you noticed or some no- noteworthy events from the Super Bowl? Such a big cultural event like this. Uh, one thing I noticed, like as a Canadian watching, is we will never have a sporting event like the Super Bowl, right? Like with the fighter jets flying over top and like, you know, pink singing the national anthem, like they go all out. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I actually made that comment during the game. That as Canadians, sometimes we we like to look at our neighbors to the south, and we do we do poke a little fun at them. Yeah. Um, but something they do unbelievably, they celebrate the event. Right. They get right behind it, and they know how to make this a thing. And the Super Bowl is a perfect example of just like celebrating everything that they do well. Fighter jets flying over at the exact perfect time that pink hits whatever note whatever, that was. Yeah. Apparently, she was sick. That's why it was not as quite as good. But you know, as a I'm singer, deaf. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. As I don't a singer, know I know how it is to sing when you're sick. So it's fine. But like they do all these things over the over the top. I couldn't believe 
just the production value yeah. alone of this thing is insane. Yeah. Even like Justin Timberlake at halftime. I mean, it's again, like or hate his music. You just watch it and you're like, man, the coordination, the money, the pre like that was it was crazy. Yeah, exactly. I know. I noticed we we had a little bet going on before the game. This is how Canadians watch the Super Bowl. Who would kneel? Yeah. And I didn't notice anyone kneeling. Yeah. So I was actually I, I wondered that. And actually, I kind of thought when we were talking about this that I might I might do some digging. I didn't do any digging, so I don't know. They if if anybody was kneeling, they didn't show them, right? And so I didn't see anybody kneeling. But we yeah we were kind of talking about you know who's who's gonna do the kneel who's going to use this stage and you got to wonder whether or not uh you know philadelphia and um new england kind of told their guys like not here not now don't make this about that right um but yeah no kneeling so that was that was good um the i think having justin timberlake do halftime was actually pretty good they didn't get somebody who's gonna come in and you know social justice warrior the thing up um (laughs) so that was good um, I mean, you can always go on and on about the commercials, but one of the things that I thought was kind of noteworthy is, um, you know, it seems like number one, it's always a trendy thing for athletes to like, thank God, especially when they win, <laughs> right? I just want to thank God for this victory and making it all per- possible. Mama. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Jesus and my mama. Um, but, uh, you know, so, but it seems like the Philadelphia Eagles actually have some legit Christians on the team who actually kind of used their platform relatively well. So I, I have a, I have a quote from Zach Ertz. You probably know who he is more than I do. He's a guy. If, if, so let's just test my memory here. I think he, well, he's a tight end. I believe he went to Notre Dame. There you go. So Zach Ertz, he said, <clears throat> He's talking to CBN uh, News that night, and he said, I dedicated my life to Christ back in March. I was baptized in March. I got married the next day, and our marriage has been built on that foundation of the Word and Jesus, and it's changed my life. So, I mean, that that kind of goes a little beyond the sort of, I just want to thank God, or I just want to thank Jesus. And that seems pretty legit, right? I mean, he gets baptized, he gets married the next day, so you wonder, you know, what, what sort of sin he was living in that he suddenly got convicted of. I mean, that seems, that seems pretty legit. Um, apparently, there's a wide receiver named Marcus Johnson who was baptized in the summer along with several of the linebackers. Um, so, I mean, it, it seems like um, there's some legit Christians on there. And then you were telling me that Nick Foles, the quarterback, yes, wants to be a pastor. Yeah, he wants to when he's when he retires, he wants to go into ministry. Um, he said, um, "I hope he becomes the Bills' quarterback rather, and then delays his <laughs> ministry selfishly. Maybe he could do both. I feel like football." Well, is I was like thinking when I retire from being a pastor, I kind of want to be a quarterback, so maybe I can just flip jobs here. Does that does that does that work? As long as you play for the Lions, sure. <laughs> They, they don't need any more help being terrible. Fair so enough. We should. I can hand off. We, like, <laughs> just give me a good running back, and I'd be great. I don't. I see. I knowing that I've played football, I don't think you could hand off the ball. There's a lot of skill that takes like from taking the snap and like putting it in the right spot. I feel like you could do it because you're a good athlete. You're a good athlete. But I mean, it would take you a little bit more. It's not as easy as you think it is, my yeah. friend. Fair enough. Um, what What else did you notice? Like, the, sorry to cut you off. I didn't mean to jump no, no, in right there. It. I, I think I think one of the things I wanted to point out about the the thanking God at the end of the Super Bowl. I I know I'm very big. I'm super skeptical, especially with like the very like quick. I want to thank God right. people at the and I always naturally just think none of them are Christians. My natural assumption is none right. of these people are saved. We just and, we just assume the the role of the cynic right exactly, away. Right? Yeah, 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 I get we, that. I just assume this is a cultural praise of the Lord, not a, not a, like a heartfelt, genuine one thing. And so one of the things that I I was even convicted when you were saying about like Nick, Nick folds, and then also talking about Zach Ertz, some of these people legitimately have lived their lives, made successes of themselves and realized that it doesn't fill that void. Right. And so they become Christians and then in any way possible that they can, that they can proclaim that they do, but like they don't get a chance to preach a sermon at the end of the game. They get to say something very quick and I like I think to myself, well, how many of these people have I have I cast judgment on, and and they're actually legitimately trying to evangelize their friends in a very non-Christian environment? Like you think the NFL, I don't think their gospel is going to flourish in the NFL, right? Right. So, but it's and and I mean I don't know who was saved first here, but to think that you know. Uh, 
Zach Ertz gets uh, baptized and dedicates his life to Christ in March. And then that summer, you get Marcus Johnson and a couple of linebackers. You, you got to think that there's some level of gospel influence there, whether it's their chaplain or whether it's somebody else on the team, uh, which is kind of cool. And, awesome. and yeah, so I, I say all that to say I'm, I'm the same as you. I hear an athlete thank God and I immediately default to skepticism. And is that real? Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, just, just some of the language that these guys used and some of the stories that came out, I thought this sounds a little bit more legit and it's kind of nice to see people using that platform, especially when we've seen, especially this year that the, the platforms of those athletes have been used for political motivations and, and, you know, stuff like that this year, uh, much of what we didn't agree with. And so it's kind of nice to see Christians using that sort of a platform well. Yeah, exactly. The the other thing, um, I 100% agree. The other thing that I noticed about the Super Bowl, we were having a good laugh during the game. Did we? I don't even feel like we watched the game. We were making fun of more things than doing. Is it football? Have you ever noticed that football celebrates everything? Like it doesn't matter what it is, they just celebrate everything. I know. I, and so it, it's funny. I know, I know Sean, our buddy from the layman's cup was kind of uh, giving me some pushback in the BMN thread as I was making fun of football and I get it. Football's like, you know, it's pretty sacred down there in the States, but so maybe he felt like he needed to push back or I just love to hear him push back on this a little bit, but it is, I mean, uh, I think it was my wife who first said it. And so the, the phrase just stuck with me. Um, she said like, don't, don't act so excited when you just do your job. Like this, <laughs> this is what you're hired for. Right. And so you see a guy who tackles the the running back and the running back gets like a gain of five yards and the, both of the, both the guy who tackled them and the running back both get up pounding their chest and like kissing their fingers and throwing them up in the air and like, you know, yelling to the crowd and you're just like, you're both happy about this. You're both celebrating a whole lot for like a pretty mediocre play, oh, right? Yeah. Like it's your job to tackle the guy and he got five yards on you. So maybe you shouldn't celebrate. And, and you know, the running back, like five yards, isn't that much to celebrate. And so I get that they're full of testosterone and all that kind of stuff. And, and Sean was pushing back a little bit and he said, you know, a home run bat flip is similar to like a touchdown dance. I'm not even talking about the touchdown dances. You know what? You get a touchdown, especially in the Super Bowl. go ahead and celebrate. I'm talking about the guys who flex and scream and let all the veins in their neck pop out of their heads when they, you know, catch a ball that's thrown to them. That's your job. (laughs) That is your job. Like imagine I'm a pastor. Imagine I like make, make a half decent point on in a sermon and I just like spike my microphone. <laughs> like that's, that's what it's like. Well, see, I think it'd be funny. Like if you were preaching and I just got up in the middle and was just like, that's a good point. That is a good point. Start just high-fiving run up and high five or we chest like, bump doing the fir- first down thing in the middle of the aisle. Just be like, that's how you take communion. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's, that's how I mean. you pass like, that play. Usher. Like, so not o- like, not only, I mean, it's ridiculous enough when you just put it in other sports, right? So imagine the shortstop who fields a routine ground ball throws the ball to the first baseman and the guy who hit the ground balls running out his thing. Cause that's what they do in, in, uh, in baseball. And the first baseman catches the ball. And then as soon as the out call is made, he spikes the ball down and yells like at the top of his lungs up into the air or like kisses his fingers and points to the, to the heavens. That, right. Like that's the comparison <laughs> in sports, but then just think of it like in, in, in every day, like imagine the guy in the cubicle who like carries the one, <laughs> whatever math he's doing. Right. And his spreadsheet works out. Even he balances the spreadsheet or whatever. And he just I, like, like whip, like whips his keyboard off his table and screams into the air. Like that's the equivalent here. That like is you, the equivalent. You just do your job and act like you've done it before. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't know. It just makes me laugh. Like football's football is the sport where this happens. Like uh, again, imagine the guy, the the um, the golfer who sinks who sinks like a six foot putt, and then he spins his putter. Like you know, you know the guys who get the touchdown, they spin the 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 ball like a top. Like imagine he just spins his putter like a top and like goes out and like yells at the crowd. That's the equivalent. Come on, football players. Like, just do your job. I'm going to start doing the head nod. You know where they do that thing where they're just shaking their head the whole time up and down? Like, yes, I've done this. That's right. After everything I do at work tomorrow. Nice. That's my whole whole day. Yeah. You get off of like a successful phone call with somebody, like pound that receiver down, (laughs) pound your chest a few times and just like... Maybe hit the plexiglass between your office <laughs> and the next guy's office. That's how I He's send that receipt to accounting, baby. Woo! <laughs> like, 
Watch that email fly. <laughs> so good. Oh, so good. Man. Oh, that's too yeah, funny. That's, yeah. That, that's how you sell toner. <laughs> that, is, that, that is what you do. That is how you print that document. That's so good. Uh, oh. Yeah. So we do make fun of football. Um, rightfully so. Times. They make it so easy on us, but uh, they're making a lot of money doing that. So, you know. To each his own. Oh, yeah. I'd celebrate, too, if I was in the NFL. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why they celebrate, because they're literally, I just made $100,000 on that play. What up? Yeah, maybe maybe that's probably what it is. There's probably performance bonuses. Right. And they're just really like, now I can feed my kids. Like, right. but and then we no, just feel come convicted. On. Now it's now I can feed my kids escargot. Like, <laughs> they're not struggling to feed their kids. It's like, oh, you know, baby gets an extra thing of caviar tonight. <laughs> caviar. Uh, who hate, who uh, likes caviar? Does anybody is anybody even gonna like I feel like we've just lost an entire segment of our listeners? Yeah, fair in enough. America, okay. they just all turn us off. Yeah, yeah. Don't turn us off. Uh we will stop making fun of uh we'll stop making fun of football i promise okay there's only one other thing i kind of want to get to in rebel news and we won't even really necessarily comment on this but have you seen all of the um the stuff that's coming out with the uh the nunez report um he's a republican congressman in um the uh in the states who came out with this memo uh kind of showing it's a four-page memo that kind of shows the um political motivations of the fbi and so the FBI was investigating the Trump campaign and, and had like essentially had a counterintelligence investigation going into the Trump campaign, which is just interesting. You know, I, I don't want to get overly political and I'm certainly not a conspiracy theorist on any of this, but I would just say, you know, whatever was going on there. And I imagine that in the next few days, maybe by the time this airs, we'll have a little bit more information. But all I would say is like using the intelligence agencies of a country for partisan bias is one step away from using the military right as partisan bias right using the military as you know a a partisan political um, force is only one step from using the the intelligence agencies as that and and that seems pretty shady so anyway um uh we won't uh get too far into that because we uh need to get to break so uh why don't we take a break And uh, we'll be right back. And today we are going to be talking about repentance. Are you afraid to open the last book of your Bible? Do you think you need special revelation to understand the book of Revelation? Are you scared you'll get left behind trying to understand all that symbolism? Are you afraid your brain might rupture trying to figure out when the rapture will happen? Relax, we've got good news for you. The book of Revelation is filled with many symbols and much imagery, but you can gain understanding by learning fundamental rules of interpretation and applying them properly to the biblical text. Let Pastor Nate Wright guide you through his Eschatology 101 video series. Check it out at rebelalliancemedia.com slash eschatology. That's Eschatology 101 with Nate Wright at rebelalliancemedia.com slash eschatology. Now, back to the Rebels. Welcome back. Uh, today we are going to talk about uh, the topic of repentance. And here we are over 50 episodes in and we actually haven't uh, talked about repentance a whole, whole lot. Um, and obviously it's pretty central to the Christian life. We so should repent for we should talking. We should repent of that, yeah. Um, so I guess uh, we should just start off and, and you were kind of the one who brought this topic forward and said that maybe we should spend some time talking about this. So why don't you start by just saying uh, why you thought it was important to talk about it maybe maybe talk about what repentance is and what repentance isn't just for our listeners sure i i i was thinking about this recently for two reasons one i i think we've kind of lost the idea in the church of what real repentance is um we think of it as like just saying i'm sorry and being sincerely sorry which is a is a facet of repentance but it's not exactly what the bible defines repentance as right and then so i was also thinking just we we've had some just conflicts in our in our lives and so how do we deal as like both bible believing christians how do we deal with overcoming those things and it's simply 
by doing what the Bible commands us to do. And so I basically wanted to bring up the idea of what the Bible says repentance is, which is really right. just changing your mind, changing your way yeah, that's right. about, about whatever you're doing. And in general, re- reaction to your relationship with Christ, changing it to be proper and right, right? Right. And I think, um, so in, in Acts 26, uh, it says that, uh, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. And I think that's really key there. So you said repentance isn't just saying I'm sorry, right? It's not just an apology. Um, and and my, my parents always had a phrase when I was a kid, and they always said, I'm sorry means you won't do it again, right? And, uh, and I, I know what my parents are getting at there. They're essentially talking about the difference between you know, just saying I'm sorry or like my bad, right, to what what biblical repentance is. And so in Acts 26, when it says, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds, indicates that um, repentance, like you said, is a change of one's mind. And it's an actual changing of their mind that leads to action, right? So that they should, it says, prove their repentance by their deeds and so prove essentially the remorse that they feel for their sin for their transgression by acting differently about it so it's not it's changing one's mind and then turning away from so it it incorporates both those things i have a couple definitions here from people who are smarter than us (laughs) i appreciate that yeah so um john piper he defines repentance as repenting means experiencing a change of mind that now sees God as true and beautiful and worthy of all our praise and all our obedience. Very John Piper, right? Yeah. <laughs> repentance means seeing God is more beautiful. Yeah, you can see. Yeah, him I can that, picture right? him doing his hands as he's doing it. Oh yeah, the hand gestures would be outrageous. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, he defines repentance this way. He says, repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, a resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. So just get that again. It's a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning over the fact that we've committed it. So it's recognition that what you've done is wrong and being having some level. So it's a a mental understanding that what you've done is wrong and then an emotional response to it. Right. A a feeling of of guilt. Right. A mourning, as uh, Spurgeon says, and then a resolution, a decision to forsake it. So it's recognize what you did was wrong. um, Feel bad about it. And then turn away from it. And then it says it is uh, a change of mind, uh, which makes you love what you once hated and hate what you once loved. Here's my favorite one. Spurgeon's actually isn't my favorite definition, but here's uh, J.I. Packer writes it this way. So just stick with me. I'll I'll read this twice, but um, I think this is a fantastic definition. He says, repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. And as your knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. So let me say that one more time. Repentance means turning from as much as of you know of you know as you, of your sin. So in other words, um, the the more you grow in this area, there there are people who will feel more guilty or guilty of something five years from now that they don't necessarily feel guilty of now because sanctification is true. The closer you get to God, the more you depravity you see in yourself. So repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much of you know of yourself to as much of as you know of your God. So as all those things grow the need for repentance continues to grow. So I, I, I really like those definitions, and I think that that's, uh, that kind of uh, defines def- uh, repentance for us. That's what it is. So it's, it's a recognition that what you've done is wrong. It's mourning over the fact that you've done something wrong, and then it's turning away from that to God. Yeah, I think, that, I think the last point of that is the, is the key in the biblical definition of repentance. It's that it's it's not just feeling bad about it. It's not just saying I'm sorry about it. But it's a it's the fruit, basically, the resulting of the change of action. That's right. And yeah. that's when a repent we can test our repentance, almost like we test our faith, when we can when our actions change because of our 
feelings and how, and our view of God, when those two first things come properly aligned, we change our actions that, and that way we know our repentance is genuine, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, uh, so just one other thing that I think will help us kind of work our way through what we're talking about here in terms of, of repentance. Um, there's a, a 17th century pastor named Thomas Watson, uh, a, a wonderful author, uh, and uh, a lot of his sermons that have been now bound uh, mostly by Banner of Truth and put in, in uh, collections. Uh, he wrote a treatise on repentance with, I guess, six steps or six ingredients in repentance of what genuine repentance looks like. And I guess that's the difference, right? So when we say it's not just saying you're sorry, it's not just saying my bad, because we live in a culture that justifies our sin, minimizes our sin, and um, th- and minimizes our need for repentance and makes it just that, uh, you know, I'm sorry. And how many times have we heard, like, I'm sorry, but... Right. Yeah. This oh. is the like, right. It's, you know, I, I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings, but you, but you, but you were acting like kind of an idiot. Right. They, they don't say it that bluntly, but that's, I, I, I think about that almost every time I'm, you know, I have to guard myself from doing that every single time I'm asking forgiveness of my wife. Almost every time it's like, I'm so sorry that I was, you know, inconsiderate there, but you know, I work really hard and I had a hard day and I had this and I, you know, it's, there's always that, but, and so, um, so, uh, and that, I think, the but is an immediate indication that my repentance isn't real. Exactly. And so Thomas Watson gives us kind of these six ingredients for what genuine repentance looks like. So he says, number one, it's sight of sin. And what Watson means by that is um, the, the recognition of that we are sinners, Right. This this is that point where we're not justifying our sin. We're not saying, hey, I know I did this, but it's because of this. We're not blaming it on anything. We see sin for what it is. It's rebellion against God that's in our hearts. Right. And I think, you know, Romans three is pretty clear on this. Uh, right. Uh, I think it's verse 10 that says no one is righteous. No, not one. <laughs> and so our sight of sin is the recognition that even though we're saved by grace, even though we've been declared righteous, uh, we aren't righteous and there's indwelling sin in us. And so with uh, the first marker, if you will, of genuine repentance is seeing your sin as sin, actual sin. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting when you read that verse, it doesn't say unless this person was mean to you and then you're okay. Cause but, <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, no one is no. righteous except for maybe you when, when somebody mistreats happens, you. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, so number one, the sight of sin or, or the recognition that you are sinful. Number two is sorrow over sin. Um, this is an actual lament or an actual, uh, he goes on to talk about lament. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I think Thomas Watson, he, uh, quotes from Psalm 51. I think it's near the end of Psalm 51 when David says, you know, the sacrifices of of God are a broken uh, and contrite heart, right? A broken Mm -hmm. spirit, I think, and a contrite heart. Um, When David says, you know, it's not sacrifices you're looking for. It's a broken spirit. It's a contrite heart. Like, that's what you want. And so um, Thomas Watson says it's a genuine sorrow. It's an actual feeling of of, um, the fact that what you've done is wrong and you feel remorse over it. You actually feel guilt for it. And I think, again, the minute we use but at the end of our apology shows that there isn't a real remorse for it because we feel justified in it. And any time we feel justified in our sin, there's no remorse over it, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's funny that you, you mentioned Psalm 51. I thought when you said that, I was thinking actually the beginning of that Psalm when David's like, against you only have I sinned. Yeah, that's right. And so he's keeping God as the, as the, the pinnacle, pr- like even though I've wronged the primary, other people. Uh, the primary uh, person of offense. Exactly, right? Yeah. Like I've, I've sinned against you first and foremost, and that's unacceptable. Right. And it's not like David doesn't make a but... But Bathsheba was very good looking, but you know, I, I'm the king. I can do what I want. He was, I've sinned against you break me so I can have a contrite heart. Right. And, um, and so, like I said, this whole treatise that, uh, Watson is doing is, is to distinguish between genuine and, um, inauthentic repentance. And I'll never forget one line that he says, he says, um, essentially that some are sorrowful and it's in this second point. He says, some are sorrowful, not because sin is sinful, but because sin is painful. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just feeling bad because 
sin hurts. It's not just, you know, you're not just sorry that you got caught. You're not just sorry that you are receiving punishment. You're not just sorry because um, there's going to be repercussions for your sin. You're actually sorrowful because sin is sinful, because it's it's wrong and you feel guilt over it, right? So there, that's the difference. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes I think we get, and I think we're guilty sometimes of this in the church where we where we repent because we don't want the consequences of hell. We don't repent yeah. because we're generally sorry we've offended God. We, right. we repent because we don't want hell. We don't totally. want the punishment that we know our sin deserves. But we, it's not because we're actually upset that we've sinned against God. Right. And I think that's something we have to combat as Christians. I think we have to, like David did, make God big. Totally. And I think that... Um you know, as, as a father now, but for anybody who's either a father or uh, involved in discipleship in general, where you're mentoring somebody, I think a really good question sometimes to ask is, you know, are you sorry because you got caught or, or are you sorry because what you did is wrong? Right. And I think that's that, you know, whether it's a child or somebody that you're mentoring, you know, when we're talking about their repentance, when we're talking about their guilt, when we're talking about the shame, which is going to come up in a bit, um, is it be, is it over being caught? Is it over being embarrassed? Is it, is that it? Or, or is there an actual recognition that what you've done is wrong Uh, before God? Right. And not just before man. So, okay. Um, so the sight of sin, right. The sorrow over sin. And then number three, the confession of sin. Uh, And so here Watson writes, uh, sorrow is such a vehement passion that it must vent. It vents itself at the eyes by weeping and at the tongue by confession. And so uh, he goes on to say that true repentance leads to confession. Again, so you come back to this, are you sorry because you got caught? Are you sorry because uh, what you did is actually wrong? I think one of, so Watson actually goes on to say, one of the things that marks genuine repentance is when somebody admits something that they didn't have to admit, right? They're, they're literally com- confessing something that has not come to light yet, right? Confessing something, um, the Bible says in Isaiah somewhere that, uh, you know, God takes the deep things of darkness and reveals them in the light. And so we know that that's going to happen, but how are they getting revealed in the light? Because you got caught, because somebody got wind of it, because, um, you know, or is it because you feel guilt over what you've done and you're the one confessing it? Yeah, exactly. God sees, it's important to remember God sees the heart, right? So like sometimes when you go to repent to your brother or your sister who you've sinned against when, when you know, they're not going to find out because it could be something that's hidden that there are things that happen. It does show that, that level of sorrowful sin, right? Like you understand that you have done something wrong against God and against them. Yeah. And, uh, so here again, Watson under this point writes, while it's preferred that confession is always voluntary on the part of the penitent, it is not uncommon for confession to flow from the fact that the Lord has graciously let us be caught in our sinful ways. However, if confession results only from the times that we are involuntary caught in our sin, then this is no repentance at all. <laughs> Which I think is, well, convicting. <laughs> well, Watson's good at that. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, number four, which I thought was really interesting, is shame of sin. Shame of sin. Uh uh, the, the line uh, that I read from uh, Watson here is he says, blushing is the color of virtue, which I thought was uh, an interesting quote. But he basically says that we ought to feel shame over our sin. Um, and th- I'm actually reading a book right now by uh, Tim Bailey. It's called The Grace of Shame. And the tagline for the book is 12 ways in which uh, the church has failed to love homosexuals. And uh, I'm actually trying to work to get him on the show. So uh, there, I said it publicly. So <laughs> hold me accountable. We're trying to get him on here. Um, but it's a, it's a great book. And he talks about how shame is one of the means of grace that God uses to lead us to repentance. And so we're supposed to feel shame over sin. And in the North American church, we feel like nobody ever should be shamed, right? We try to take all of the shame away from people feeling sin. And we say things like, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners. You know, the only thing difference between you and me is, you know, that that Jesus has covered my sin. I've been declared righteous, but I'm not. I still mess up just as much as you. And all that stuff is true. And sometimes we need to say those things as we preach the gospel. But sanctification is a real thing. And sin ought to make us feel shame. Because shame is one of the ways that God has designed true Christians to feel when they've sinned. And so the shame of somebody who's caught in lust, 
the shame of somebody who's um, uh, involved in fornication or adultery, or even the shame of just getting caught cheating, you know, on your taxes or, or, or lying or anything like that. The shame you feel is a grace of God that's supposed to lead you to real and true repentance. Absolutely. Um, and so those who try to avoid shame when getting caught in sin or revealing themselves in sin, it, it's a mark of non-genuine repentance. Yeah. Um, the, the third or the fifth mark is hatred of sin. And, uh, and, and this kind of, he goes on to talk about how, um, God's anger burns towards sin. And so those who, uh, you know, you know, the saying that like, there's nothing worse than a reformed smoker that, you know, people who, who stuck, quit smoking, you know, are the most sensitive to the smell of it and stuff like that. I think that's true for sin in a lot of ways, right? There's nothing that's more revolting to somebody who has been delivered from pornography than pornography, right? There's mm-hmm. there's nothing more revolting to the um, the delivered addict than you know the allure of drugs. So I think that God causes our hearts to hate the things that we've truly repented of and been freed from. And so um, the, the, the fact that we begin to hate the sin that has ensnared us um, instead of loving it is, is uh, again, a, a marker of true repentance. Yeah, that's, Watson's killing me here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has a tendency to do that. Um, and then the last one is turning from sin. And, and that is um, repentance means little if it doesn't result in reformation. Um, and it says, uh, this is the ingredients of repentance that takes the longest and can be the most excruciating for all involved. Will you raise your voice again in anger? Will you look at something inappropriate when no one else is around? Will you talk again about someone else's flaws just so you can feel accepted? Right. And so the point is, is that true repentance leads to a turning away. Um, and it doesn't mean that we're always successful in fully turning away, but it means that we, we get better with every time we walk through this line of, uh, of, uh, repentance. So again, Thomas Watson, six ingredients to show what genuine repentance looks like. It's the sight of sin, seeing sin as, as actually horrible, the sorrow over sin, the confession of sin, the shame of sin, the hatred of sin and turning from sin. So um, that's kind of Thomas Watson's thoughts on what true repentance looks like. And uh, I think it's, it's still obviously incredibly relevant for us today. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I think there's a lot to get from that as, as Christians moving forward, as people who still want to be reformed by the word of God today as much as we ever have been. I think it's important to keep keep those things in mind. Um, it's also important to remember that real repentance is actually a gift of God. Yeah, um, it's something absolutely. that like Amen. we don't we don't cultivate this ourselves. This is something that God gives us, and um, when when He regenerates, regenerates our hearts, He He gives us the ability to to be authentically like I, uh, repent authentically. Is I guess what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, we see this in John six. We see this in Acts five. I think in Acts eleven, when it talks about God giving repentance to people's hearts. Um, I, I know in Matthew is it Matthew three where Jesus basically says, and John the Baptist says like they will produce fruit keeping with their repentance. Um, and I think that's important to remember that these are repentance is something God gives to His people. Right. So I guess um, I think. One of the things that I th- one of the reasons I think that repentance is so important for Christians is because in a culture where I'm sorry or my bad or just equivocating and justifying our our wrong behavior is so prevalent. That's what everyone does. Repentance is different. Right? And so and, and I mean, you know, what does it look like in your workplace when you don't you don't say, oh sorry. Like when you're late for a meeting, when you, but you actually repent and you ask for someone's forgiveness, right? Like biblical forgiveness is not, Hey, I'm sorry about that. But like, how awkward is it and how weird is it and how different and countercultural is it when, when you miss a meeting and says saying, Hey, sorry, I'm late. You say, I'm so sorry that I was late. Will you forgive me? Right. There, there's nothing in the the unrepentant, unregenerate person's. There's no contract there. Right. It's it's just I'm sorry I was late. Traffic was bad. But to the Christian, forgiveness looks different. 
All of those things that we just read are activated in our hearts. We feel actual remorse for our sin and we, we apologize and we ask forgiveness and the non-Christian will look like, trust me, this, this works, like try this. And the non-Christian looks at you like they, they refuse to do it. They, they refuse to say, yes, I forgive you. They're just like, oh, don't worry about it. They brush it off and then stick to it and say, no, no, no. I, will you forgive me? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to repent here. It's weird to them. But once again, it shows that there's something different. It shows that we are still caught in sin. We are still sinners like them. We aren't playing the pious holier than thou art that Christians so often get um, accused of, but we're different because we actually are sorrowful over the things that we do wrong to other people. And we actually ask for their forgiveness. Yeah, exactly. It takes, it takes somebody back. I remember a story. This isn't something I did. I witnessed this though. Um, another Christian at a workplace I worked at was, which was very un, the gospel hadn't really penetrated this workplace for a long time. Um, but he was a couple Christian people that I knew that worked there. And this one guy, he missed four days of work. And that was just unheard of at this, at this job. And he came in and I remember thinking to myself at this point, if it was me knowing how close he is to being let go or anything for these attendance issues, I would just say I had the flu. Right. And he came in and he, I remember him going to his boss, but he kind of did it like in a way that other people could hear. That was just the nature of the office. Like there was never really any privacy. And he said, he said, I, I'm sorry. I went to the cottage. I wanted, I wanted, I made a mistake, left on the weekend and was having too much fun. Didn't want to come back. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Wow. And I remember <laughs> thinking, I remember sitting there and thinking, Jeremy, you're about to get let go. Like you're about why, like that's a must lie situation. And I, right. and I'm a Christian guy sitting there being <laughs> right. like, that's a must lie situation. And he, and I remember the gentleman, I won't say his name said, okay, th- thank you for your honesty. And I'm, you could see on his face, he did not know how to react. And he said, you know, go back, sit down and we'll, we'll talk about it later. And I remember him like all day we could, we kept thinking Jeremy was going to get the ax. And then later at the end, almost near the end of the day, the, like our boss came out, no word of a lie was like, because you were honest here, you, you're going to, I'm, I'm, this is, this is a strike, but it's not, it's not strike three. Wow. Um, and it was like, and I remember thinking to myself, being convicted because I would not have done that at that time. And I remember watching that being like, I wouldn't have had the courage to repent the way he he did. And even though he did that, I still expected him to get the punishment of it. And instead, he ended up having this huge witness in the office just because people were like, hold on, he didn't lie. If he would have just said he had the flu, they would have been like, okay. But he told the truth was genuinely sorry about it. And like, you could Mm. tell he was upset about it and the, like the boss didn't know what to do. And so he basically didn't reward him, but he like, he didn't, he didn't fire him. He didn't give him the full punishment. Not that we're we're repenting to avoid punishment, but like his, his witness increased because now everything Jeremy said in the office, everybody was like, that's the truth, right? That's a hundred percent accurate. So when he said later, I think we're doing something wrong. And I think this about what the way people act and live morally, people listened because they know they recognized him as a man of integrity. Right. I, um, I think just as we, as we try to wrap this up, uh, just so we're staying under time here. Um, I think, uh, uh, the other thing that we wanted to comment on that we didn't leave ourselves a whole lot of time for, but is the fact that repentance and faith can, should be understood, I think as kind of two sides of the same coin, Right. Um, that uh, it's impossible to place faith in Christ as your Savior um, without first changing your mind, which is what we're calling repentance, about who he is, right? Without seeing your sin as uh, evil and uh, in need of somebody to save you from it. And so I think repentance and faith are kind of two sides of the same coin. And, you know, when... uh, uh, you think about the disciples who are consistently chastised for their lack of faith. Uh, sorry, not lack of faith, but their little faith, right? And so God can work with a little faith uh, because he grows it, right? Because faith is a gift. Similarly, repentance, the the other side of that same coin. Mm-hmm. I think the more we repent, right, the more we see our sin as something that needs to be turned away from, the, the more our faith increases. And then just the recognition, just so we're being theologically uh, concise here, it's, it's important to understand that repentance isn't a work that we do to earn salvation. 
um, that no one can actually repent and come to God unless God for, first pulls the person to him, himself, as John 6 says. So I say that not just to be theologically precise, but also just to say to the, anybody who's listening who might feel like, you know what, I'm caught in this sin and I feel bad about it. I feel some shame about it, but I, not so much that I've, I, ha, I, I haven't brought it out of the darkness. I haven't brought it into the light. I haven't actually turned away from it. I'm caught in it. I still love it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of it, but I, I'm still caught in it. And I would just say, then pray that God grants you true repentance because it, it is a gift from God. It is something that he puts into our hearts. And so pray and pray. And it's, it's, this is a prayer I pray a lot. Um, help me feel bad about this, right? Like when there's a sin that I'm not necessarily feeling bad about, right? Um, if there's something that, that I'm, I'm caught in that I'm unable to shake, I pray God, and, and this is a really audacious prayer. This is a really dangerous prayer, but you should, as Christians with, with regenerate hearts who, who want to grow in Christ likeness, we ought to be praying things like, God, help me overcome this or bring it to the light, Right. And like, how scary is that prayer? Right. When we have sins that are, are deep in the recesses of our hearts, you know, pray that God either brings somebody to find that because that is a grace of God or pray that he grants you true hatred for that sin and the ability to overcome it. So, right. so pray for the repentance that you don't necessarily have or that you're not, uh, uh, practicing genuinely. Um, because God is faithful and just, and He will give it to you. So, uh, is that about wrap it up? Yeah, I think that's. I think that. I think we hit on everything we wanted to say about that. So. Okay. So, uh, thanks for joining us again, and uh, we hope that you will find us on Facebook. We hope that you will find us on whatever podcast app that you use, um, wherever that is. Subscribe, and if it allows you to rate us, give us uh, any uh, sort of review, then please do that. Uh, you find us on Facebook, follow, like the page, invite your friends to follow and like the page and, uh, and, and throw us a review on Facebook. That seems to be where we're getting the most traction and where we seem to grow uh, with the most listeners. So getting involved in the rebellion looks like you hitting that share button, hitting that like button, inviting your friends to uh, listen to us and, uh, and get the word out. Thanks again for joining us and we're so glad you're with us. See you guys.